Now this is not the beginning of the message, but it is the beginning of the message. I'm working outside the box today. And uh, we're going to divide this message up into three sections so the kids that would usually go to children's church at this time don't leave yet. Um, that'll be when the offering is taken place, then the kids can go. All right. Um, I'm going to divide this into three parts today because I want to cover three different areas of, of, uh, of the Word of God today. Most of you were at the Shrin Center last week, and if you'll remember, Pastor Tim was speaking about what we are in Christ. There were two things that he mentioned. You remember what those were, that we are what? Dead to sin and alive in Christ. All right, those are the two things. So it begs the question is, if we're alive in Christ, why? Why don't we just go on to glory once we become a Christian? He takes us home, welcomes us to the family of, of God, and, and allows us to just go on and enjoy eternity with Him. And there's a reason why. And that is because He has, uh, he has other people that need to hear the gospel. He has, we have relatives and friends that don't know. And that we have a responsibility as believers to uh, be fulfilling His will and His purpose for us in our lives. So if we are alive in Christ, we have to ask why. And um, every one of us, every one of us, there's a point in time in our lives that two things happen. First of all, we become a believer in Christ. That we realize that we're sinners, that we need a Savior and that we place our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ and what He's done for us. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is we come to a point in our life where we realize that I am not living my life for myself. I am not here to please me. That God has a plan and a purpose. And when we can come to that point where we realize that God has a plan for me, that God wants to use me in other people's lives to do something for Him, that he has that one thing that he wants us to do. I wanted to share, open up with a, uh, a letter that one of our college students wrote. I wanted to read this. It'll take just a couple minutes. And, and, it, and it describes what I'm trying to explain. I had it all planned out. Get my bachelor's degree in broadcasting, climb my way up the corporate ladder and work for the travel channel or discovery channel. It was the perfect plan to success an exciting life, and financial stability. During my freshman and sophomore years at Messiah College, the plan was going along great. I was doing well in my studies, interning at, at different stations, and obviously letting loose on the weekends. On top, of it all, on top of it all, I even got to go to Ghana, Africa, during my January of my sophomore year. During my trip to Ghana, for the first time, my eyes were opened to a world bigger than my own. Witnessing poverty, disease, and suffering really hit home for me. Returning from Ghana, I felt confused. I wanted to do something about what I saw, but what could I do? Who was I kidding? What could a broke college student really do? I convinced myself my feelings to respond was just becoming a distraction. I needed to push that aside. In, as months passed by, I slowly lost my passion to react to what I saw in Ghana and continued with the plan. Skipping down, it says, 
Then it happened. In the midst of my smooth sailing, carefree city lifestyle and a life revolving around me, I suddenly felt empty. The more I thought about my current life, the more unhappy I became. My classes were interesting, but I was not really that passionate about them. My internship was going great, but the work I did was not that fulfilling. The nightlife was a blast, but never truly satisfying. What was happening? My future was everything. And after all, the way I saw it, God wanted me to be successful. And that meant a prominent job in the media industry. Who else to run to during those times of unhappiness than to God? I knew that I wanted a stronger, more serious relationship with Christ. But that would mean sacrificing my own selfish desires. At this point, what had I been doing was not working out. So I was willing to pursue my faith more seriously. To my surprise, the more I began to seek God, the more I began to see the wrong direction that my life was headed. I had become so obsessed with life revolving around worldly pleasures in myself that I had pushed aside the one who gave me true meaning and significance. I was amazed, even though I should not have been, that the more I began to pursue Him, the more of Him I wanted. Spring semester of my junior year, I was contacted about participating in She's My Sister bike tour over the summer. After a few days of thinking and praying, I was totally on board. To make a long story short, the She's My Sister bike tour was far more than an adventure for me. It challenged and deepened my faith. It ignited my passion for the suffering. And it showed me that answering God's calling is extremely difficult, but also 100% worth it. The plan has now become His plan. God has changed the direction of my future. I feel that He is calling me to use my skills in communication, love for film and media, and passion for people in a career advocating for the suffering of the world. I believe wholeheartedly that my mission first begins with the Congo. I have never in my whole life felt such satisfaction and purpose than responding to this calling in which he has led me. It's one of our college students and I just I just praise the Lord for that and, and just what God has been doing. I wanted to share a couple of verses and then I um, uh, someone else is going to come and share a little bit. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Did you get that? Did you hear that? That we are his masterpiece. In another translation, it says that we are his workmanship. I like to do woodwork. Some, are, some people are artists. And when you get a, a project done, you look at it. It's the best that you could have done. It, it's a, it's a masterpiece to me. I look at some artwork that people do and, 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 and I say, man, that is so awesome. It looks so real. Almost looks like a photo or still a real life thing. It's a masterpiece. And to think that God is a hundred times greater at making, producing masterpieces than I am when he looks down at me and says, you are my masterpiece. You are my workmanship. I created you in Christ Jesus for a purpose, to do the good works that I've planned ahead of time for you to do. So let's walk in them. And then also in 2 Corinthians 5.15, he says, For he died 
for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's his challenge to us. He said, you know what? I just didn't die on that cross just just to get you a ticket into heaven. I died for a purpose that you could have a new life in Christ, that you can live a life that is pleasing to me and fulfilling to yourself. I mean, anyone, you ask anybody who's sold their life out to the Lord and given themselves totally to him, if they're dissatisfied with that, it'll be a resounding no. There's, there's nothing better than that. If you are here today and you name the name of Christ as your Savior, you claim to be a believer, do you know what that, that thing is in your life that God has called you to do? He may have led you into secular work as a way to, to that is your mission field. He may want to change that direction and lead you someplace else. I've asked Matthew to come and share with us uh, a little bit of his story that took place in his life, how God is changing his path and God is, is doing some work. Come on down, Matthew. And, and so I'm going to turn it over to him. Then we'll sing a couple more songs and then uh, Bob Briggs is going to be coming up in just a few minutes. Thanks. Good morning. Most of you remember back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. I had just finished up my undergraduate studies and was beginning law school. And I'm sad to say I really didn't give the tragedy much thought. I sent off my $10 text message donation and thought that I did my part. And threw myself into my studies and really, you know, didn't pay any attention to what went on in the aftermath of that. Three years later, after I had been back here sitting in the pews where you guys are sitting now, I was still really in the same spot in terms of, you know, kind of my heart and my passion for what was going on in the world. And, and um, when the second hurricane went through New Orleans... Louisiana, Hurricane Gustav in 2008. It was almost three years to the day. And again, I had sent my little text message donation off and, and was well on my way to just continuing on in, in my comfort in the seats. I uh, had just finished up law school and was now starting a new job at a law firm in New Jersey and thought that I was you know, doing what I was supposed to do, providing for my family and all that other good stuff. And Pastor Tim Van stood up here and announced to the congregation that we were going to organize a missions trip, a relief trip, to go down to Homa, Louisiana, which was one of the hardest areas hit, and help with the cleanup. There were trees down everywhere on top of houses, over cars, on power lines, and it was a real mess. And so I sat in the pew and I felt what I can only attribute to the Holy Spirit, this just overwhelming conviction that I was supposed to go on that trip. And naturally, I fought it <laughs> and said, no, I'm not going on that trip. I've never gone on a missions trip before. I really don't have any interest on in going on a missions trip. Um, I've, I've sent my little donation, and okay, I'll, I'll give more money. That's, yeah, okay, I can do that, Lord. Someone else can do the work. And so that week went by, and it was my first week on the job, my new job. And it was still playing on in the back of my head. I got this missions trip coming up you really should go on. 
The next week, that Sunday in church, Pastor Tim Van got up here again and made the same announcement, the same call. And I had the exact same feeling. Matthew, you're supposed to go on that trip. And so I leaned over to my wife, Leslie, and I said to her, Les, I think I'm supposed to go on this trip. And she looked over at me and she said, you just want to get out of work. (laughs) And so long story short, I went on the trip. And while I was there, I was praying and, and, you know, doing the work. We were chopping up trees and cleaning up houses and fixing roofs and doing all kinds of good stuff, helping people. And, and I was saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm here. Who, who, who am I supposed to minister to? Who am I supposed to help? I know that you called me to go on this trip, so, so what am I supposed to do here? And after a couple days, the Lord said, you still don't get it. I sent you on that trip for you to wake you up, to give you a kick in the pants, and to finally have you take me seriously. And I kind of sat back and scratched my head a little bit on that one. Because, hey, I was in church every week. I would read my Bible from time to time and say prayers. And, you know, I was a Christian. And I believe I was. But I was comfortable. I was just floating along. My legal work was my job, but I don't believe, looking back now, that that was the work that God has prepared for me, what my purpose is, as Pastor Tim just talked about. And so on that trip, I was there with several godly men, um, Scott Mernicki and Terry Mack, who many of you know, um, and also two in particular really convicted me and spoke to me, Jack Templeton uh, an elder here who most of you know, I, I saw in Jack a man who deeply loved the Lord and was committed to his faith and growing deeper in it. And I wanted that for myself. I wanted that for myself. And another, another man, David Springer, who was three years younger than me, who I used to pick up and take to this youth group when Pastor Tim was the youth pastor, who I was a mentor for, a big brother for, who I would kind of, you know, talk and we'd have these talks. I was a senior, he was a freshman. David was there, and I saw that he had far surpassed me in his faith. And that convicted me. And so I resolved when I got back that no longer was I going to be satisfied with just being comfortable in the pews. No longer was I going to be satisfied just kind of going through the motions of Christianity. I was going to take the Lord seriously and was going to make him the priority that he needed to be. And so for the last four years, I've tried to walk in those steps that I know he's prepared for me. And so my encouragement to every one of you is not necessarily to go on a missions trip, But if God is calling you, if God is prompting you to do something, heed the call. Whether that's to get involved more here at church in small group ministry or life group or a Bible study or in Sunday school or teaching children's church or helping in the nursery or at Riverside or all the myriad ministries that we have here. If you feel like God is moving you into that, do it. 
Because I guarantee you, while you'll be helping other people, it's not for them, it's for you. Because God wants to teach you and prepare you and move you to where he wants you to be and on the path that he has prepared for you. Thank you. All right, part two. We had part one talking about Matthew sharing his testimony and how that God has a plan for each of us in our lives. And I want to take this in um, and make this more of a practical part of our, our sermon here is, is what do we do about it? Next month is our on-ramps to service week. I'm wearing this shirt in honor of that. And uh, next week's bulletin will have a list of all the projects that we're going to be doing. I was going to have it in this week's bulletin, but my computer crashed, and, and so I had to send it away, and all my files were on that computer, and I'm going to get them back tomorrow, so I'll have it ready by next week and have it um, in the bulletin for you. But On Ramps to Service was an initiative that we started five years ago. It started out with just a, a Saturday, Saturday event that we as a church got out, and we did different projects. We did some street cleaning. We helped out at the... CareNet, we, we did this and we did that. We did a number of different projects and, and we moved out. One of the things that we did was um, we cooked hot dogs and served hot dogs down at Riverside Park to anybody who walked by. And during, after that was over, David Berry said, you know what, why don't we do this on a weekly basis? Why can't we do this? And so that was the beginning of on-ramps um, Riverside Ministry. And from that day on, for five years, over five years now, we have not missed a Monday. I think we, there was one Monday that we missed because of a snowstorm that we were snowed in. But other than that, we have never missed a Monday, be it a holiday, uh, scorching 100-degree weather, freezing cold weather, we were there to serve a meal. And as you look back, if you've never been down to Riverside, I challenge you, come on down and take a look and check it out on Monday nights down at 2nd at, at Street Campus down there. What we have is, when it first started, families would, would say, okay, they would sign up, I'm going to bring baked beans, or I'm going to bring hot dogs, or I'm going to bring cake, or I'm going to bring this and that. And everybody would cook their meals at home and bring them down to Riverside Park, and we would serve a meal there. We didn't know what we were going to get. It was just, whatever they brought, that's what we served. And, um, and then it started getting cold weather in the fall. So we said, we've got to find a place to get off the streets. And so this facility would not suffice. Nobody would come up here and our facility is too small to house 100 people or whatever. So we looked around town and, and St. John's Lutheran Church offered their facility for us to use. So we were there for three years in that building. No air conditioning. And when it got to be 100 degrees outside, hot and humid, then the floor would literally be wet with, uh, with this humidity. But yet we had... The thing I look back and I say, there has never been a time, I was talking to David Berry about this, who's been with it from the very beginning, there has never been a week gone by that we have not had enough staff, had not had enough food. And it's just amazing that, that we see this going on year after year. All volunteers, the only person that gets paid to be there is me. And, and everybody else is volunteering and they, they come they come for a season of time. Some have come for a year. Some have been there for four years, five years. Some come for just a few months. Their job changes and they, they can't come or they, they move away or, or something else happens. But God is so faithful in that. 
And that stemmed out of our on-ramps to service week. And our goal for on-ramps is that, that each of us find that, that one thing that God is, is, has blessed you with, that ability, that passion to do, how do we could serve Him. We uh, go to the Children's Home of Easton. We've been going there for, for five, four years now. And, and my heart's desire is that, that the team of people would get a heart for these kids and that would go and serve and on a weekly basis go and hold just discipleship classes with them, tutoring courses, uh, tutoring and, or anything just to come alongside these kids who are there because they either can't live at home because of violence or they are unruly and they have to be in a controlled situation like this. They're not orphans. Most of them, hardly any of them are orphans, but they just cannot live at home. And, and that's, that's my desire is, is that we would come alongside them on, on, an, on a regular basis. We work with the Cheston School, come alongside these kids in the south, south side of Easton. We do these different projects for, for the purpose for you. As Matthew said, when you go out on these trips, it's not just for them that we're doing these mission trips. It's not for them. It's for us also that God will get a hold of our lives and give us a passion to serve and, and to do His will. So one of the things that we started last year was, um, was called RAC, Random Acts of Kindness. And what we did is we raised from you as a congregation $2,000. That's going to be our goal again this year is to raise $2,000 that we can then turn over to this team in segments of $20. I mean, they'll have $20 bills that they'll be taking out. And they, I challenged them. I said, listen, don't stereotype just because they're shabby or just because they're well-dressed. Don't say, well, they don't need any of our money, so I'm not going to help them out. We don't know about the guy that's driving the BMW may have just lost his job or the woman who's decked out and seems like she has it all together is not on the verge of suicide or throwing her marriage away or whatever it is. We don't know that. They might need some encouragement. And so I challenged them. I said, go praying to, before God, asking him, God, who do you want us to come up to and talk? So I've asked Denise to come down and share her experience last year and, and, uh, and just how God moved in, in their situation. Hello. For those of you who don't know, I am Denise Ackley. Tim Ackley is married to somebody. Me. So you know how to pray for me. And those of you who know me know how to pray for him. <laughs> hmm, I got the microphone and he's in the audience. Hmm. How many think he should change his profile on Facebook page? <laughs> okay, so one of my little private dreams has always been, what would it be like if I was a millionaire and I could just go to these places and just pay for people's groceries and do it. Wouldn't that be so much fun? Well, this, I thought this would be great because it's a chance for me to kind of live that dream a little bit. You know, it's not even my own pocket, right? I'm I contribute, but you know what I mean? It's our church's money that we're trying to give out here. So I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, we're just going to bless people. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you something. Um, down South, we would have been able to hand out this money probably within 20 minutes, been invited for iced tea and put on the Christmas card list. But um, in the Northeast, it's, it's very a culture of suspicion. The more you try to do something well or look friendly, 
Uh, it's like you're trying to sell them something. So this is going to be a challenge. I learned very early that you do not say, our church is here, because as soon as you said church, you lost them. So I would say, uh, our group is trying to practice random acts of kindness. We would like to be kind. Will you let us be kind to you? And that at least got them intrigued a little bit. And we had little cards that were printed up that had our church name and number and everything on it that we give out. And then it opened the door. Well, um, you know, what, what group is this? We're with Cornerstone Church. Oh, you know, where is that? Talk a little bit. And it was very interesting because what this whole thing really, really was, was a concentrated exercise in looking at people. And a concentrated exercise in um, God appointments. Every single one of us, every day, have a God appointment. It might just be with your child or your spouse or a neighbor, but there is someone every day that God's going to bring to your life for you to use your gift for. And at the end of the day, if you put your head on the pillow and you can honestly say, I did not use my spiritual gift, it's a wasted day. So I, uh, I love hospitality and mercy and showing gifts, so this is going to be something that's going to be great. But again, it's an interesting opportunity in looking at people. It's interesting, one of the um, stories of Jesus in the temple, they brought a, a, a man with a withered hand to him to see if he would heal him. And Jesus, first thing he said to them was, do you see this man? And they're the ones who brought him to him. Or arranged, I think they did. But he was right there in front of them. But he asked, do you see this man? And it's an interesting exercise and really open your eyes to see the look in people's eyes or how they carry themselves, what they might need. Um, so we would pray. We'd walk around like, God, please bring people who we can show your kindness to. And there were those who just absolutely just, no, thank you. I'm doing fine. I don't need anything. Or just would really walk off. Um, but there were those few uh, that you would give some to. There was one lady who was in a wheelchair, and I said, and with her, I really felt like I could be absolutely up front, and I just went beside her and said, you know, the Lord would like to bless you today. And I handed her some money. And she just looked up and had her, I guess her daughter or someone with her, and just instantly started crying and was just looking at it incredulous, so thankful. I, I didn't feel like at that point I was to stay, so I didn't. But there was one other person, this other lady that I uh, talked to in the parking lot at Walmart. And with her, I did feel like I needed to stay. We sat there probably 15 minutes with her pouring her story about her daughter. And we, I was able to share scripture with her. And I, we you know, put our hands on her and we prayed with her right there in the parking lot at Walmart for uh, you know a while. And she was so thankful for the encouragement. Her exact words were, I was praying for a need, and by doing this, you've shown me that God's hearing my prayer and is going to supply my need. You just never know. Um, those appointments are everywhere, and it's about sowing seed. There's going to be stony ground. There's going to be thorny ground, and then there's going to be ground that's ready to grow. And God is in charge of that. He asks us to sow the seed. So that's what this is about. It's about sowing seed. It's about being kind so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, not for your glory, Him. And it's about intentional God appointments. And every day, you, again, you have one, whether it's a spouse, kid, every day. And I just ask that uh, this is an opportunity to practice that.
practice listening to the Holy Spirit's direction and being obedient and, uh, and getting a chance to, to just look to see who God is bringing into your life uh, to be a blessing. So. Amen. Thank you, Denise. Just a, a side note um, to follow up with that. We had a free car wash a few years ago. And there was a couple that came through the free car wash. And when we told them it was free, they said, no, nobody does that. You, there's got to be a catch. And we said, no. And they said, and they even took, we, we were giving out um, certificates to go to Red Robin to have dinner on a certain night that was a fundraiser for our mission trips. So they came and bought dinner. And the, the proceeds, the 10% or whatever it was, went to our mission trips. They started attending our church, and they've now been on mission trips. Peter has been on a couple mission trips with us. Sharon has uh, in need of a, a kidney transplant. Most of you know Sharon and Peter. They come on Saturday nights. But what a couple they are. What a testimony of God's grace and, and that we never underestimate the power of, of love and service and never underestimate the gospel. And, and that, was, that was pretty cool. Part three. We're moving right along. I've only got another hour's worth of notes here. But this past week, Pastor Tim, Jason, uh, Matthew, and I went to a conference in Louisville, Kentucky called Together for the Gospel. And the theme this year was Together for the Underestimated Gospel. And during the, during, before a number of the, uh, the messages, the speakers, they had people come up and share testimonies. And they had all walks of life. They had... Um, guys that were in gangs and drugs and alcohol. They had a housewife. They had a businessman. They had a guy from Germany. All these different uh, variety of different testimonies that they shared of how people came alongside and shared the gospel with them. And the last thing they said before they walk off the stage, each person was said, never underestimate the power of the gospel. We hesitate at times to share the gospel. But they, they are examples of the result of somebody sharing the gospel with them. And it was just really challenging to me is to never underestimate what, what our lives can do, what, our, what, our, what the gospel can do. There were a few things that I was challenged with over the week. And I want to share a few of those and, and then focus on, on one of them. And we were challenged through one of the first speakers is to never compromise the word of God. Never compromise it. Never water it down just to get people to sit in our pews. When, when the Word of God says that all have sinned, that means everybody's sinned. When God says that there is going to be a judgment day one day, we don't water that down. We let it, we let it know. I mean, every message this past few weeks that Pastor Tim has been sharing, he's given an invitation to accept Christ as a Savior. And, and so it's, it's important that we never uh, compromise that. One thing that he said in, the, in one of the messages, he said, he who thinks lightly of sin will think lightly of Christ. And that spoke to me, that challenged me. Because sometimes in our, in our lives, we, we tend to make light of, of some of the things that we do, the compromises. Maybe we're watching a movie that is, that is questionable, or maybe we're looking at something online that is not right, or maybe we're uh, associating doing something and telling a dirty joke at work, or, or something that we know... Is compromising, and we make light of it as if ah, it's not a big deal, you know. But when we come to the point when we realize that sin is an atrocity against God, that it's a slap in His face for what He sacrificed for you on the cross, 
we cannot take sin lightly because that means that we're just taking the work that Christ did lightly also. That really stood out to me. One of the other sermons that um, was, was given to us, and this was a, a conference with around 7,000 pastors, teachers, church leaders, come together for one purpose, and that is to understand our role as pastors and as teachers, that we can live a life. And, and so one of the things that they, they said that, that is lacking in our churches today, not just our church, there's two things in, in nation, you know, around the world that's lacking. And number one is a passion for global missions. And number two is a passion for personal holiness. You know, that just follows up with what we make light of sin, that we're really making light of Christ. That, that if I were to ask you, when was the last time you prayed for the people in Yemen? When was the last time you prayed for the people in Cambodia? When was the last time you've done that? It's, um, that's not for me, is it? All right. As we, uh, my wife and I have a, a, a little thing. Did I say something funny? Oh, <laughs> good job, Renee. Um, one thing that my wife and I have on our, above our sink is, is a, a flip chart thing. And what it has on there is all the countries uh, around that 1040 window. And there's, there's enough that every three days we flip it and we are praying for a new country. And in there, it gives you a little few tidbits of the country, their, their, what the population is, what the main religion is, and how the gospel has either spread or it hasn't. And, and that's a way for my wife and I, as, we, as we're sitting there, standing there washing our hands or doing dishes or whatever we're doing, we could see that and then pray for those countries. And, and, you know, we need to be doing that. We need to become passionate for the world and, and what's going on in, in, our, in our world. And then the second thing he said is to have a passion for personal holiness. That there's nothing else that matters in this world except my relationship with Christ. Amen? And that's what, that's what he wanted. And one of the main things that I want to do as a, as a pastor, as a, as a church leader, I want to set the example. I want to help set the bar. And, and I know all the elders and deacons and the other pastors want to do the same thing that we want to raise that level of personal holiness and what we do as far as evangelizing the world. That those people, there are thousands and thousands of millions of people who have never once had an opportunity to hear the gospel one time. They go to a Christless eternity with never hearing that. And, and so I want, to be, I want to set an example. I want to lead the way in doing that. One of the speakers that we had, David Platt, most, a lot of you have read his book, Radical. We've had small groups um, talking about this. He challenged us in four things, and this is what I want to just spend the last five minutes talking about. He challenged us as pastors and church leaders to do four things. He said, as pastors and leaders, you need to lead your church to pray confidently and faithfully for the salvation of the unreached. We need to be doing that. We need to acquire a passion for those that are lost. Number two, he said he wants, we should lead you to give sacrificially. Not just money, but our time and ourselves. Give ourselves. And the third thing he said is we need to lead you to go intentionally. And the last thing he said that really, really set me back a little bit because, you know, I've been a missionary. You know, I've, I've given my life to the Lord. But what he said, 
We need to lead you as a congregation to die willingly for the sake of the gospel. That hit because I lived in Thailand for a number of years and, and Thailand is a relatively safe country. We had uh, the, uh, the army from Burma close to our village and what we did during those times, we would just go to town and get out of the village. There was really no, no danger, no fear. But would I be willing, if there was somebody pointing a gun at my head, would I be willing to stay there and not, not give up the name of Christ and not, not turn away? And it really spoke to me and really challenged me. And I want to be able to do that. I want to be the, I want to be the one going out there and being able to do whatever it takes to share the gospel with those that have never heard before. And one of the things that, that I'm really excited about our church is that, that even Pastor Tim and I were talking the other day. He said, man, wouldn't it be neat to be able to go to some place where the gospel has never been shared before? And most of those places are, are, are a little more dangerous. And, and, but yet, we are called to take the gospel. Because the Bible says that out of every tongue and tribe and nation is going to be represented in heaven. And I'm looking forward. You know, I, I, when I was first going to the Red Korean tribe in Thailand, I thought maybe this is the last tribe that when people get saved here that that will usher in the rapture and the Lord will come back and all this stuff. But it didn't. There's still believers there and we're still here. Um, but it was just, it would have been awesome if that would have been the last group um, that would usher in the Lord's kingdom, that we would be in heaven together. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back. Nobody knows. Um, but there, he said there was going to be people from every tongue and tribe and nation. So what does that mean for us? I've been in ministry for over 30 years now as a missionary, as a youth pastor, and, and now as a um, whatever I am now <laughs> here. And I have never once seen somebody that was a pew warmer today, just a pew warmer, coming to church, putting their money in the offering and doing their duty, become somebody passionate and, and giving their lives for the Lord. I've never seen it happen overnight like that. It takes time. If you've seen the movie, What About Bob? You'll know it's baby steps, right? It's baby steps. You cannot go from in the cradle all the way to um, running the race and willing to sacrifice your life. It doesn't happen overnight. So how do we, how do we get from, from there to there, from here to there? And one of the things is we have opportunities all around us. If, if God's heart, if God's desire is to see everyone receive the gospel, it's our responsibility as, as the church to be a part of that. Wherever he would take us as a church, we need to be a part of that. And so we start out by, we have needs around our own community. So we have uh, a soup kitchen. We have on-ramps to service. We've got prison ministry. We've, we've got nursing home ministry. We have a lot of things available for you as, as congregants to be able to get involved in and to begin taking those steps to saying, God, where do you want me? You have a plan and a purpose for me. And, and there's a job to be done here in the Lehigh Valley. There's a job to be done around the world, and he's asked us to do it. We are his. I have a, a couple of verses I want to share with you in closing. 
And if you'll look in John chapter 13, um, we've got three minutes left and I'm going to take probably five. So in, in closing, look in John 13. This is a verse that, that, that we need to memorize. Need to have it. It's a very simple verse. John 13, 35. A lot of you might know this. It says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you like each other. Is that what he says? He says, If you have love for one another. We have... God has given this, and this is how that people can see that we are His believers. This is how people are going to distinguish between us and the world, is if we have love one for another. There's a lot of, lot of organizations and churches who go out and do nice things, but is it just doing nice things, or do we actually love these people that we're going to reach out to and, and we're going to help? And, that, and so that's what, that's what he's asking us to do, is that if we want to be known as Christ's disciple, that we need to be loving other people. And the second thing in, in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 17, some really neat verses that, um, that show how we're supposed to re- react. It says, uh, starting in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets, who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. They, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You, and that's, that's how we are in our lives if we name the name of Christ as our Savior, we should be producing good fruit. That as people look at us, they can see something that, that you know, when I look at a, a good apple or when I look at, I think bananas and mangoes are my two favorite fruit. And when I go into the stores, I like to look at, not, I mean, I'm not sick, but I like to look at the good fruit because it, it makes me hungry. I want to eat those, that fruit. And that's the way that people should look at us as Christ followers, that we have something in our lives. There's something about us that is different. And, and that's saying that by their fruit, you're going to either produce good fruit or bad fruit. And, and the people in the world are going to know who you are through that. So as I, as I talked about these things this morning, if, if this hearing the testimonies and singing these songs that, that say that you know, God's got things for us and all that, if this has really excited you and got you pumped up, and, and that's good. But if it made you mad at me, that's good also. Because to me, that means that God is putting His thumb on something in your life that you may need to work on. Because if you're rebelling against the, what the Word of God says, it's the truth from the Word of God that that if we have love for one another, that we, that's a proof that we are His disciples. If we are producing bad fruit in our lives, if we're doing things that are ungodly, that's a sign that there's something wrong in our life. He's putting His thumb on it today. So I, if you're sitting here complacent and really, you know, so what? Then I would question your salvation. But if God is doing moving in your heart and life, then we have a responsibility to to follow through on that. As Matthew shared earlier that he was sitting in the pew and, and he knew that God was speaking to him to, to go on this trip. 
when Jenna uh, went on this bike trip and, and God was speaking to her through that time and, and God changing her direction in life. That's one of those things that's beginning to pr- produce good fruit and, and things are changing. I don't know what it's going to be in your life, but I do have a warning for you. A warning. That once you give your life over to God and allow Him to do as, as He pleases in whatever area He wants to use you, your life will never be the same again. You can't go back. After you've experienced the joy of serving Christ, the, the thrill of, of being involved in His work. When, when my wife and I came back from Thailand in 93 to, um, for some health issues with one of our kids, then uh, I got a secular job and, and I began to become... I said, you know what, I've been... In fact, the first thing that I did was uh, become, be on staff at a Bible college. And I was there for a short time and, and I said, you know what, I don't like this. Because I'm so used to living in a tribal village where I'm rubbing shoulders with unsaved people who are, are, are worshiping the ancestors and, and, and they're, they're, the, the system of government is trying to influence them into Buddhism and, and all these things. And, and I was here in this sanitary Bible institute fixing meals for all the students. It was nice interacting with the students and stuff, but, but I just was empty because I have been out with people. I've had that taste of what God can do in and through our lives. And so we, we left uh, the school and got a secular job. And then I began to see that, that where God had me, working for Service Master, or working at Home Depot or Sears or wherever I was at, that this was now my mission field, rubbing shoulders with unsaved people and being a part of what He had. And then eventually back into ministry again. And, it's, and it's, once you get that taste, once you get that bug in you, it's hard to get it out. And it's it's amazing time. As we close today, I want you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. The worship uh, trio is coming up. And we're going to sing a song that some of you, if you've only been saved uh, 30 years or less, you might not know these two songs. But uh, we're going to sing Onward Christian Soldiers. And uh, what's the name of the other one? I Mind blank. Stand up for Jesus. Songs I know so well. I do know them, but let me pray and then we'll sing these songs in, our, in, in closing. Father, thank you for, for the work that you do in our lives. God, you are amazing. And when we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly, God, that you are um, faithful to lead and guide us where you want us, where you're going to satisfy us and fill us and use us to the most. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.